This episode of Family Trips is brought to you by Nissan. Whether you want more adventure, more electric, more action, more guts, or more turbocharged excitement, Nissan is here to make sure you get it. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey everybody, this is Seth. This is Josh. And this is a disclaimer that some of these episodes of Family Trips were recorded before the Screen Actors Guild strike took place. So if people are talking about work that they have coming out, we just want you to know that they were not breaking strike rules by doing so. And moving forward, we're going to make sure that doesn't happen with any future guests. Thanks. Hi, Pashi. Hi, Sufi. How have your travels been this summer as far as just planes taken off on time and the like? I had a big delay. I had one where I was flying back home. I was flying to Boston and I kept getting updates, email updates for my sort of departure time. And it was supposed to take off at 11.40 p.m. And then I'd get an email that said like, it's pushed back, it's gonna be 12.30, but still get there for 11.40. And then I'd get an email like, oh, good news, now it's 12.15. And then, oh, bad news, 1.15. And I probably got 26 emails by the time I got to the airport and it finally took off at 2.30 in the morning. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. It was a bummer. My craziest one was that someone had done something in the bathroom of the plane that they discovered when it had landed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's been a rough summer for travel, a lot of it weather-related. And I try to have a lot of empathy for pilots and um, you know flight attendants and, and desk agents. None of them want your plane to still be there. They want to no, leave. Yeah, no. Everybody wants things to be on time. Yes, but I think sometimes we forget that. And what I loved about my pilot is we were on the plane and he had to tell us the bathroom was broken. And it was the most I'd ever heard a pilot just sound like an angry stepdad. <laughs> because he was like, well, somebody fucked with the shitter. Like, that's why he didn't use those words. <laughs> he didn't use those words, but it felt like his tone was that's what he wanted to say. And he was so mad that we actually felt bad for him. Yeah. Like that was the fun part. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he played it perfectly right. And he also told us, you can get off and we're going to see if we can get a plumber to come fix it. But just know the best case scenario, you're not going to be able to use the bathroom on this plane. So if you want to get off and wait, use the bathroom and don't complain when you can't use the bathroom <laughs> on the flight. What? So it was one of those like somebody flushed something they weren't supposed to, like, yeah. like, and all that like a yeah. full ham. Yeah. <laughs> From the sounds of things. <laughs> I mean, I don't think this is a brag necessarily, but you and I were in the same fraternity. We had our own plane. We had our own plane with the <laughs> no, two bags. We were the same fraternity. No, we were in the same fraternity. And I feel like guys that didn't used to live in the house anymore would yeah. like come to the house and like stick a whole roll of toilet paper on a toilet and then flush it. But they were like our, our quote unquote brothers. They were just like agents of chaos. Yeah. That was a horrifying time. Yeah. Really glad we got out. Yeah, we did. We, we, we got did. out. We're going to talk to um, Nir Vardalis today. I don't know. Did it come up? Have you been to Greece? Yeah, I went once. Right. Years ago, I went to this island, Thassos, or Tassos, mm -hmm. um, which was like a very popular destination for the Dutch. Ah, interesting. And I went, when I was living in Holland, uh, I was dating a Dutch girl and went with her family. And we stayed at a place where the proprietor of the hotel 
looked so much like a French, a famous French soccer player. Do you remember his name? He was like Zidane, huge Z- in the nineties. Zinedine Zidane. No, it was earlier than that. He's sort of Thierry like a, Henry. No, earlier. Okay, uh, um, Eric Cantona. Yes. Oh, look at that. Yeah, he owned this huge property, and he looked so much like Eric Cantona that he wore his jersey all the time, and he would play soccer with all the kids that were there. And I did. I like. I looked him up, and someone has made a documentary because he had this like lifelong obsession of wanting to meet Eric Cantona. And he didn't initially know who he was, but people like there was a French family who went and stayed there and were like, "Oh my God! Like you look just like him." And it became his calling card. And uh, I remember being there and watching World Cup games. In the documentary, did he ever meet the real Eric Cantona? He did, yeah. Oh, good. And he looked so much like him, but the picture that exists between the two of them, they do not they do not look anything alike. It reminds me of two things. Once I was with our good friend, Brendan Hunt, and we were in Houston. No, I'm sorry, we were in San Antonio, Texas. But we were at the mall, and there was a man in San Antonio, Texas who was wearing a Houston Astros jersey, and it was a Jeff Bagwell jersey. And the guy kind of looked like Jeff Bagwell. And Brendan said, I think that's Jeff Bagwell. And I said, the one dude I'm sure it's not (laughs) is Jeff Bagwell. (laughs) Jeff Bagwell would not wear his own jersey to the mall. Yeah. And that obsession with meeting someone, Colin Jost once told me a great story. He was in Spain, and he was visiting Scarlett, who was working on a... Wes Anderson movie that Bill Murray was in. Scarlett Johansson, yes, his wife. And Bill Murray and Jost were golfing. And I guess the word got out in this tiny Spanish town that Bill Murray was there. And a dude just burst out of the trees and came running towards them (laughs) from the village and ran up to Bill Murray and rolled up his leg to show Bill Murray that he had a Bill Murray tattoo on his leg. Wow. And I just like that you're in this little Spanish village and somebody must have heard that Bill Murray was there and was like, go, somebody get Silvio. Silvio's got to hear about this. And then he got the news and he just realized, oh, I got to run as fast as I can to the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think Bill Murray probably didn't know how to make heads or tails of the moment. I bet Bill Murray was glad that he had a golf club in his hand. Yeah, when a guy charges onto a golf course. You see people charging sort of athletes. It keeps happening like on the field, yeah. uh, you know, baseball players, football players. And I guess, you know, these these athletes can handle themselves. But golfers, they got that nice, they got that weapon in case someone truly is coming at them with some, uh, some venom. I should let all our listeners know I do not play or watch golf. I have a great appreciation for them as athletes. I'm not judging. I just don't take any joy from it. But did you see earlier, wasn't there a guy who ran out once his buddy won a golf tournament? And the oh, security yeah, yeah, That happened recently, him. but security didn't know. Yeah, and he did run out with a champagne bottle he was popping. It did yeah. seem like security should have known that's probably not a crazy <laughs> dude if he has his own <laughs> bottle of champagne. Yeah. But it was a pretty effective tackle. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, the worst... And the best, I guess, of them is when someone runs onto a football field because those guys are, their whole lives, they've been training to hit people. Yeah. And they have the advantage of like full pads. And right. you feel like a football player sees a fan on the field and it's like it's like someone has just thrown a, a gopher in front of, I don't know what the number one predator of gophers is. But, coyote. Uh, Let's say a, a coyote. coyote. Sure. Yeah. It is funny, too, because the people who do that are obviously inebriated to the point where they think they're elusive. 
and <laughs> they are not yeah, elusive no, to professional athletes. Um, uh, very excited for our episode today. Uh, Nia is a delight, and we hope you enjoy it as well. But first, give a listen to Jeff Tweedy. Hi. I don't think your headphones make you look weird. I don't think that at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we look, you're wearing very normal headphones and we look like airline captains. Yeah, but these are like 1994. Like they're not really hip. You have How a lot. Are you? A lot of your background sort of feels like 1994. Are you? I, it's, it's true. I'm actually, I came to Greece for a photo shoot and I'm wow. staying in a house. Yeah, that's a little vintage. It's quite nice. Let's just start by saying it is very on brand that you are joining us from Greece. <laughs> Completely agree. <laughs> it's also, I think it just speaks to you will go there at the drop of a hat if you're going there for a photo shoot. That is a fact. I will go here for anything. If they say you have to go and pick up these arms and get them to this country that we're at war with, I will go. That is fair. Oh, you said Athens? Yes. I will be Gun there. runner. Yeah, I will do anything to get to Greece. Nia, I want to start because I always, I associate you first with Chicago because mm. I knew a lot of people that knew you from there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I think like everyone, I associate you with Greece. And I always forget that you're Canadian. Yeah, yeah. That's why my big joke with Derek was like, hurry up because I'm so Canadian. I would never. <laughs> I would be like, oh, they need to cancel. That's okay. Those brothers must be busy. <laughs> so Winnipeg, Canada, right? Yes, yes. I'm from Winnipeg, which is right in the middle of Canada. It's the prairies. And it's I feel as though it has a reputation for being brutally cold at a time back in the day when not everywhere was overcome with weather tragedies. Yes, it, it well, yeah, it was very cold and also uh, formative in that if you could learn how to parallel park in that snow, you were a badass. So I think it made me tough because, as you mentioned, from there, I went to Toronto, Second City, and then Chicago, Second City. And when I got to Chicago and Toronto, people around me were fired. Like, they were like, like, good, let's clean house. So then this Canadian shows up in the cast, and it was just a hugely popular decision (laughs) to bring me in. (laughs) People are getting fired all around me. But... In the end, I think my niceness, I'm not going to say it won people over. They got used to it. Did Chicago feel like almost like a South Beach to you being from Winnipeg and coming from? Yeah. 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 It was, I was used to that cold, but I kept thinking, why did I defect to such a cold city? Why am I here? And that kind of wind is extraordinary. But then I, I got my citizenship too. I have both. I have Canadian and American citizenship. And I wanted to vote. I wanted to like really be a part of Chicago. And, and, but yeah, that cold is no, it's a no. And were you, so your Winnipeg upbringing, was there a big Greek community in Winnipeg or? No, there were okay. about 3000 Greeks um, from aged infant to in a casket and yet we were <laughs> They expected. still count them when they're in the casket? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Because the beard's still growing. The beard's still yeah. growing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and we were expected to pick one of those people and marry into that family that we were probably partly related to. And I, and I, you know, I, I have been, uh, I've read things about myself, like not happy with that lifestyle. Vardalis then went on to become a sketch comic, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, no, that's not what happened. Nobody asked me to stay. Everybody liked my beautiful older sister. All the Greek boys liked her. And then I was just kind of like, eh, that girl that did musical theater. So no one paid attention to me. So when I went off to theater school, no one noticed. It's not like the Greek <laughs> boys were like, no, come back. I want to make babies with you. How many Vardellis, uh siblings were there? There are three girls. My older sister, Nancy, me, my younger sister, Marianne, our younger sister, Marianne, and our brother. Guess what his name is? It's Nick. is nick the youngest yes he's the baby we used to go on these cross-country trips we would go from canada from winnipeg down to chicago where my dad's sister who married his best friend lived with their kids our cousins and we would drive down from winnipeg to chicago and we would drive in a big cadillac and we'd play trivial pursuit and we'd make the three girls would sit on the seat and we put our brother no seatbelts we put our brother down in the wheel well you know like in the in the foot well and oh, we'd yeah. make him we'd make him hold the trivial pursuit board up on his face like this <laughs> while we like, tossed the dice and moved the the Things around to, you know, get pies in our in pie slices in our pie. That is really an era. We were a Trivial Pursuit family as well. I like that your parents were obviously in the car and must have been very proud of the fact that their daughters were pursuing trivia. Yes. And yet they also must have been aware that their son was just being used as a table. Yes, it's true. They couldn't see back there, which is why we're all still alive to see what we were doing to my brother. But he got his revenge on us in many, many ways. Like we had a curfew, of course. And when I was a teenager, he's seven years younger than me. He rigged a a piece of dental floss against something in my closet so that when I walked into my room late, my foot, my ankle stepped against the dental floss and it pulled a light on a battery in my closet, which shone into my eye and I screamed and woke up my parents and got grounded. (laughs) (laughs) That is subversive. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm no stranger to that. I certainly would do stuff like that to Seth, but that's, I'm, I'm impressed with that. Yeah. He, he, he put the thought into it just enough that you made, it made us think he might be a serial killer. Just enough thought that was too much. So my, I have a brother-in-law who has uh, two older sisters, two older Jewish sisters. And I've always said that in a way, I feel like he has three Jewish mothers. Does Nick have three Greek mothers? Are, yeah. are Greek older sisters, have, do they have that sort of oppressive sibling always. manner? Yeah, well, always. We're still telling him what to do. And we hear it and yet can't stop. I guess it's genetic. But we're, we're always telling he married a fantastic Greek woman who also tells him what to do. So it's a perfect life for him. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> Did you guys, was it imperative that she got on well with the, his three sisters? Uh, I think so. But we liked her immediately because gotcha. uh, we always used to watch. She came for Christmas holidays when they were engaged. And um, no, they had actually just met. She was a friend of our family and they came for Christmas and we were watching Sound of Music in the basement under 
a quilt that had seen better days, all of us, you know, our family tradition. And they were out visiting people. He was introducing her around Winnipeg. And she came downstairs, saw us and went, sound of music and jumped in under the quilt and pulled it up. And sure, it had dog toenails in it. And she didn't care. And we thought, (laughs) oh, she's one of us. (laughs) So you mentioned you would drive to Chicago. What's a Winnipeg to Chicago drive time? I think it's I think it's eight hours or it might be eight Greek hours, which is pedal to the metal. Hard to know. So it would be normal, would be a 10-hour drive? Could you do, is a Greek 8 a sort of human 10? I think so. I actually can't recall how long it is. And we did it a lot. Like if there was a baptism, we would just get in and drive there. If there was just anything, there was always something going on between Chicago and Winnipeg. And we went back and forth. We were really, really close with those cousins. When you'd go to Chicago, would you do, aside from family stuff, would you go see Chicago? Were there things uh, about that city that you'd... Yes. Our cousins would take us around. We, of course, went to the Sears Tower when it was called that. You know, we went all around and we saw everything. And I remember driving by Second City and saying to my cousins, I'm going to work there one day. I have a cousin, Nikki, who's um, honestly should have had her own reality show. She's extremely watchable. I'll put it that way. You can't take your eyes off her. And she talks like this, like everything is. And she would um, say things to me like, if you want to do it, you have to. Like that. And so eventually, (laughs) (laughs) eventually I, as I mentioned, got to Chicago and they were so supportive. I mean, you've seen how Second City is. It's a stage, it's seats, they're close. And the lights would come up with musical director playing, like starting something and the lights come up and here we are on stage. And my cousins would come with half the Greek community, take over the theater, sit right in front. They're so, so loud that the show always would start late. We'd finally get them settled with their drinks and their snacks. The lights would come up. I'd be in the opening scene and my cousin Nikki in a bright yellow jacket would wave her arm in dead silence of the audience and go, hi, Nia. Now, again, we're talking about a cast that's maybe not that excited that you have joined to replace their fired (laughs) friends. How do they feel about your Greek entourage in the front row? Yeah, they would always say, oh, this is the night that Nia's going to kill. It's always like like, once a week, there's the Greek community. Anything I said in the improv set, I was like, I'm a genius. That's wonderful. It was not exactly welcomed by them, but I think they got used to it. Then we'd all get in a cab. We'd go down to Greek town. Like, you know, you have to, that's what we do with, as Greeks. We roll you into our world. We love a convert. We love it. And if you just like the taste of feta cheese, we declare you Greek. I remember once my comedy partner and I, Jill Benjamin, did a show at the Live Bait Theater in Chicago, and which was maybe 80 seats. And I came backstage before the show and I said, there are 11 people here and only two of them are not related to us. <laughs> it was just like her family, my family, and two other people. And uh, in the end, it wasn't a bad show. We leaned into it. It was not a bad show. But Josh and I went to Northwestern and we used to, uh, our visit to Greektown was once a year, we would go with our college fraternity. And uh, I feel as though we we represented ourselves a lot worse than your family represented themselves. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. What was that, re- Diana's? Yeah, Diana's is still there. Yeah, we would go to Diana's and it was like the, I mean, I feel like anytime an upperclassman would make a toast, everyone would drink. So if you were a freshman, it was really problematic. It was 
Yeah. Yeah. Probably yeah. not a great idea. We like had to get in a bus afterwards with trash bags. It was awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did that too in college. I remember drinking till the, you can't see and you wonder why, why. And then the next day you vow you'll never drink again and then you have to. I know was uh, going to Greece. When did that start for your family? Was that something you would do as a kid? We would go about every three years. And I think about this all the time, how expensive that must have been. But because my dad immigrated in the 1950s, 60s, uh, his family was all in Greece. But slowly but surely, he brought his brothers over, who then brought their other brothers over and their sister, etc. That's the way you did it. And in fact, this is a really crazy story, but and we'll probably all go to jail for it. But here it is. I never told it. But here, my one of my uncles passed away. And the next one under him, younger than him, took his documents that had just been processed for him to immigrate and went over to the to Canada as his name because they all look so much alike. But that's what they would do. They would work, get papers for someone, put money into an account, get them over, get them employed. It's incredible, huh? And was your dad the first? Yeah, my dad the old, was the oldest. My dad passed away. He was the oldest. And uh, so that was important for him to bring his kids, all four of us, eight years between four kids. He would bring, and my mom would bring us over to Greece to visit my grandparents. And I don't know if you know this, but sometimes European cultures, Greeks, uh, worship the boy in the family. And so my mom, before we traveled, would give us all a bowl cut, not kidding, with a Tupperware bowl and cut our hair, which was easy maintenance for the three girls. Well, we got to the village, which is like driving up a winding road, a winding road. We get to the top. And of course, my grandmother would have been alerted by carrier pigeon months before that we were coming. So she'd be waiting at the base of the fountain for us to come. And she'd rip open the car door like a badger with a bag of Oreos and to find Nico, 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 who was the baby, he was four <laughs> years old. So she took my sister, Nancy, Moo means mine. She took my sister, Nancy, and she went, Nico, Moo, Nico, Moo. And Nancy with the bowl cut said, oh, I'm Nancy. And she went, ah, kissed her and kind of tossed her aside, <laughs> went through each of the kids and finally found Nick. And they were like, it was like Lion King. They all held him up, like the progeny of Gus Vardalis has come back to the village. And the three girls, were, I, it just informed my comedy in that moment. I knew exactly who I was in the Greek society. Was the plan to give you guys bowl cuts so there would at least be a moment where you would get the light of your grandmother <laughs> while she thought you were potentially... <laughs> Just so you could see what it would feel like? It was, no kiss. It was yeah. pre-planned in some way, I guess. But yeah, we had low-maintenance hair, all of us. I think um, looks were not necessarily as valued in my family as being funny. No one really uh, commented on each other's looks. We all looked the same. There were 27 first cousins. We were all dorks. And we all went to Greece in the summer and hung out. Isn't that incredible? So wait, they, yeah. not just your family, but all the other cousins would yeah. be there as well? There would be, of the um, seven brothers and sisters, well, one family still lived in, in Greece. And then of the others, there would be at least one or two other families that were also making the trip. And that's, we would just hang out. We'd go to the Isthmus of Corinth and have a um, meet on a stick. It's called souvlaki. We'd have a meet on a stick eating contest. We'd go swimming. We'd get brown, brown, brown. And then we'd go back and miss the first week of school in September. It was just a given. It's what we did. Wow. How long was the total uh, length of the trip? We'd go for three months. Wow. 
Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's why I'm fluent. It sounds just so amazing. You're like, we go to this mountain and our grandmother would meet us at the fountain. And then we go, you know, when your father was bringing his brothers over, I mean, no disrespect to Winnipeg, but were they like, oh, thanks, Gus. <laughs> I mean, land was cheap. That's all I'm going to say in Winnipeg. Uh-huh. But it was a shocker for them. And I, want, I think about it all the time. Why Winnipeg? And there is one reason, but why did they all settle there is the question. One went to Chicago, but my dad um, and his best friend, as I said, also named Gus, they came over together on the boat. And my dad stopped in Winnipeg to visit a very distant uncle. And the very distant uncle um, said to him, as my dad was on his way down to Chicago to go to mechanic school, the distant uncle said to him, oh, you're a church chanter, aren't you? Because my dad had been trained. There was so little food in Greece that at one point, Greek boys were sent to monasteries and nunneries to work the land, get educated so they could eat. And huh. in return, isn't it, it's unbelievably sad and yet poetic. In yeah. return, my dad was trained in the Greek church. We have a, like Jewish um, synagogues, they have a call and response. And we have that with Greek Orthodoxy as well. So the uncle said to him, well, you're a church chanter, aren't you? And my dad said, yes. And he, he said, before you go down to Chicago, why don't you stop by the church? There's a funeral today and we don't have a chanter here in Winnipeg. Maybe the priest will want you to do the service for you with him and you could make some money. And my dad was like, sure, I'll go and I'll meet some Greeks. So my dad goes, he makes $20. He goes to the funeral and he's doing the call and response. And it was my mother's grandmother's funeral. So my mom and dad saw each other at that funeral. And that's why my dad went to mechanic school and came back and married my mom. He met her that day. But we always imitate my mom at her grandmother's funeral. Like, oh, my grandmother died. Who's the cute chanter? (laughs) (laughs) That's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. It, it is these tiny fragments that make up our lives, huh? You never know. It's really funny, the very idea of we met at a funeral. Like it, <laughs> <laughs> but one, one funeral and then to, to, be, to go to a big metropolis like Chicago and keep her on your mind the whole time. Because, again, I'm assuming when you're at mechanic school, you're just meeting ladies left and right. I think so, too. <laughs> I think those are the type of ladies that you do want to wed and bed. In whatever order. But I think, yeah, my dad was quite smitten. And when he went to my grandfather and said, I'm a a Greek man, I'm from Greece. And my grandfather as well had immigrated. And my grandfather, he's my dad said, I'd like to court your daughter. And my grandfather said, okay, you can court her only on the porch at the house. You cannot take her out because if it doesn't work out between you two, she will be ruined. Her reputation will be ruined. And Isn't that uncanny? It's sweet, but also horrifying. Horrifying. But I will say that is, it is nice to know the stakes ahead of time, because obviously your dad then had to go into it with clear eyes as to exactly what he was putting himself out there for. Yeah. And my mom said in in school, a lot of girls had, had been pinned. And we're going to be married after high school. Is that incredible how the times change? And she yeah. was a mom by the time she was 21. Unbelievable. And how? And so she had four. Uh-huh. So she, but then yeah. she was done. So she's done by the time she's 30 having kids, right? That's right. Yeah. Were you 
outside of Greece, outside of driving to Chicago, did you have other uh, family trips that you would take or was that sort yeah. of? Yeah. We did. We'd go to Sault Ste. Marie. We'd go to Brandon. Um, there was a, te- a festival in, oh man, I just thought of it. Oh, Wait, where is Brandon? Right there. Uh, Brandon, Manitoba. It's okay. outside of Winnipeg and they would have um, f- various stampedes and things like that, which is a, a horse show. And we would go to that. But the best was in Regina, where we have family. They had a food festival called, with a big banner, Taste of Regina. <laughs> uh, Regina those, those would happens. get stolen yeah, on the regular Every, <laughs> they'd be like who took the damn banner again that might and, be the biggest example of how much times have changed is you used to be able to hang a taste of Regina banner and it would not be taken it would not be taken Regina isn't Regina my sister-in-law's middle name it's Gosh. in uh, it's Re- Regine? Regine, yeah. Regine. My, my sister-in-law's oh. middle name is Regine. But, Regine. But sometimes she can act like a real Regina. <laughs> she really... <laughs> Did you ever go to any of those stampedes, any of those kinds of shows? Yes. We went to the Calgary Stampede, and we walked through the 4-H club, and we met the kid who had won for the biggest pig. And here's the thing about my parents. We laughed all the time, but... Their one rule was we were not allowed to make fun of anyone. That Ah. was the rule. At all times, you could laugh observationally, but you could not make fun. And that also has informed my comedy. Because when I gave my teenager a phone, I had to at 13 because in Los Angeles, the bar mitzvahs that they get invited to are drop-off. So you're dropping off your 13-year-old at a a skirball center in the middle of earthquake town. And I, I just couldn't do it. I was so scared. So I got a phone and said, this is your phone, but this is my rule. You may not use it to make fun of anyone. No text, no video, no nothing. Because that's the way I was raised. And I think it matters. Because I think that type of humor that I do, that I go, come, laugh with me, is much different than poking humor at someone. It's, it's easy. That's an easy joke, I think. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and hear from some of our sponsors. This episode of Family Trips is brought to you by Nissan. Posh, these days too many people have to settle for the next best thing, especially when it comes to choosing a car. Yeah, but at Nissan, there's a vehicle type for everyone, for every driver who wants more. Whether you want more adventure, more electric, more action, more guts, or more turbocharged excitement, Nissan is here to make sure you get it. Because Nissan is all about giving people a whole spectrum of thrills to choose from with a diverse lineup of vehicles. Sports cars to sedans to EVs, pickups, crossovers with Nissan's diverse lineup. Anyone can find something to help them reach their more. What are you looking for more of, Josh? I like a nice ride. I like a nice sound system. I like something that's, yeah, that's comfortable. You like to have room to load up a bunch of gear, go somewhere, do an adventure. I do. I'm never happier than when I have sort of a, a full car, a roof rack on my car. Makes me happy. And all I need is a cup holder for an iced coffee. And Nissan can provide you with both of those things. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Family Trips and for the reminder to find your more. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. We're sponsored by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt and no sugar. With none of the junk. There's no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS, Soof. Josh, you know, you've seen me. I sweat. When I work out, I sweat a lot. And when I sweat a lot, that salt leaves my body. 
want to thank Element for putting it back in. And you know me, sometimes I'll uh, I'll tie one on. And if I want to feel a little better the next morning, drinking an Element can help replace some of the things that I've maybe done to myself yes. and don't deserve to feel as good as I feel after drinking an Element. Right now, Element is offering a free sample pack with any purchase that's eight Single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash trips. This deal is only available through our link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash trips. Element offers no questions asked refunds. Try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a salty friend and they will give you your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Except salt, and then you'll get it back with Element. You came from sort of this agriculturally based community, but were, at this point, obviously your dad's a mechanic, right? He's not into farming anymore, even though he came from that sort of life in Greece as well? Yeah, he came from sheep on the countryside. And, uh, you know, if they drank milk, it's because they went and got it themselves from an animal. Yeah, absolutely. That was my dad's life. He was a mechanic and then um, morphed into buying and selling cars, uh, but not individual cars. He would buy like a trove of cars coming from here and then turn them in and then became a land developer and made all these shopping malls in Winnipeg. And this is a person with a 10th grade education from a village. It's incredible, isn't it? And my mom, a sweet Winnipeg Greek lady, uh, ended up working at one of the theaters that I, after we all went to school and she had nothing to do at 35 years old, um, she asked if she could be the bookkeeper at a theater that I worked at after Showcase. Oh my gosh. I'm assuming they embraced uh, the opportunity to have a bookkeeper. Oh yeah, they loved it. But my mom and dad, were try- they went to one of the parties and um, they were trying to tell each other in Greek that there was pots being smoked at the party. There was pot in the other room, but my mom didn't know the word for cannabis or joint, you know, in Greek. So instead she said, don't go into the other room. They are smoking. And she used the word for casserole dishes, like pots and pans, like that. (laughs) How much Greek was spoken in your house growing up? Always and constantly. And being in the village for those three months uh, made us completely fluent. We're all fluent. And when I got to Greece to direct the movie, I asked the office who were, uh, we partnered with Faludo House, Playtone, you know, Playtone produces Mm -hmm. all these movies. Playtone partnered with Faludo House who are Greek based. And so I got to the office, the production office, and I asked 25 production staff to only speak to me in Greek because I wanted to get my Greek up to a level so that I could direct actors who only spoke Greek and speak to crew who only spoke Greek. But when you do that with Greeks, 25 office staff interns to a line producer, what you've done is invited 25 teachers into your life every single day. <laughs> so I was just, I'd be in a meeting speaking Greek. We're going to put the cameras here and what we're going to, and they'd be like, Nia, Nia, Nia. When you say the cameras and it is plural, you must remember it is a feminine word. And therefore, ah, it was like a <laughs> mistake. <laughs> yeah. I imagine after that, you might need to smoke a little casserole dish and uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some pots and pans. <laughs> yeah. Take a pause. I might, I might have to light up a bowl and mean something different. <laughs> Did you, so I want to, if you went every three years, so every three years you get a three-month summer in Greece, were you miserable the other summers? 
No, I was miserable in Greece for half of oh, the time no. because when you turn 13, you just want to go to Clear Lake with your friends and gotcha. um, share a cigarette under the dock. I, I didn't want to go to a village and watch my uncle skin a goat. Yeah, I, I really felt othered at that time. And now I'm so grateful for it. Right. So how many of your Greek trips were you that, did you have that jaded take on it? Did you have a couple? I have two of them. Yeah. Two. Because the yeah. first like 13 ones and were 16, little, a teen. Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Because you know, when you have a teenager, they go from being a loving little cat to a just, I mean, from a loving little dog to a cat. Yeah. You know, they're just like a little puppy, you know, with their face against your neck. And then they're a teenager <sighs> about everything. That was me. Did you ever, when you were over there as a teenager, did you ever think, maybe I should go to a funeral and try to make eyes at a chanter? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I had all these protective cousins around us. There was no, there was not even a makeout session. It really? Was... Because, and you blame that on your protective male cousins? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We moved in a group, definitely moved in a group. But at the same time, every one of us was into something else in my family. So Angie was into skating. Mikey was into football. I was, of course, into theater. So this group of this rambling, chubby, dark, swarthy group of cousins, we would supportedly go to each supportively go to each other's thing. So any piece of theater I ever did in Winnipeg, I had a bunch of cousins there, as did this cousin, this cousin, this cousin. So there was that trade-off. And I actually didn't want to leave that warm bubble. It's scary to go out into the world. I went to theater school in Toronto. It's this classical theater school that you have to audition to get into. And we're all like, I do love Shaw and Shakespeare. And you get in there and everyone is, you know, inclined to get the teacher's attention. And that's when I realized some, some people are not so nice. And yeah. I had only grown up with nice in the nicest city. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, I was a, awakened. It's funny virtually. because, of course, I think for most people, they would think Toronto would be a nice city, but of course, that would be coming from the states. And if you come from, a, if you come from a smaller part of Canada, I guess. That. Well, also, you're talking about getting into a theater school. I feel like any theater school you go to, there's going to be some, uh, some backstabbing and some, oh, yeah, crawling over each other to get to the top. Oh. I made my closest friends from that time. In fact, I was in Second City with one of my classmates and then the class, the, the generation of Second City Toronto friends. My best friend is from that group. So you do find your people, your nice people. You, you find them. I really do. I even think in L.A., that cesspool of a town, nice people find each other, I think, in L.A. And I get burned a lot. But when I first got to L.A., I did a lot of voiceover. I still do. And I was on the Sony lot voicing something. And I was excited to be there on the Sony lot. And I saw Drew Barrymore. And I smiled at her because, you know, when you first get to LA, you think you know someone and then you realize that's Brad Pitt. You don't know him. And so it was for me, Drew Barrymore. And she, I smiled and waved. And she smiled and waved back. And I thought, if I am ever a known person, I'm going to stay the same. I'm going to be a dork who smiles and waves at people. I got to tell her that too. Years later, That's after wonderful. my Big Fat Greek wedding, I was like, I saw you. I saw you on the thing and this happened. <laughs> and she said, oh, I probably just thought I knew you. And I was like, no, you were nice. So, yeah. It is, Ben. Those moments where you had a chance and you didn't realize in the moment that you were giving someone else a memory 
And when they then give you that gift years later and tell you how uh, nice you've been. You, by the way, I should know, I met you right after the success of my big fat Greek wedding because you hosted SNL in 2002 and you were a lovely host, Nia. Yeah, that's super nice. I seriously, I was so, your super fan. I was so excited. And then when I guessed it on your show, I remember like I wanted to say something like gushy, like I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and I am. I'm so <laughs> proud, proud of, of you. Yeah. We're right. proud because- of him at home. So. Well, I should say, like, people from your those first couple years, like 2001, 2002, I do, I have I've had some very nice conversations, including this one, where people say something like, you know, it's really, really proud of you because you did meet me when I was just, I was a C, as you would say. I did not have much purchase at that place. And so um, for people who, uh, who were kind at that time, it means a lot. I know what you mean. I know that feeling of when you meet someone who has figured out the system much more than you. And they're, it's not jadedness. It's just a player, a game that I don't know how to do. Yeah. And when you, when you have a genuine exchange with somebody, you remember them. You really do. And I should note, like, I don't feel as though you were, I mean, again, for anybody who doesn't quite remember, like, it was the most out of nowhere. I mean, <laughs> and I should say we're at this very exciting time where, uh, you know, as unlikely a trilogy as you're ever going to have and. <laughs> In cinema, right? And and uh, the most wonderful kind of trilogy, which is is taking time. And so it's not just, you know, coming yeah. off the assembly line. But that movie came out of nowhere. And the other thing about you in 2002 is you were not walking around like you'd figured it out or cracked the code. You were walking around like someone who was just genuinely overwhelmed with how much people liked this thing that you put your heart into. And it was really great to be around you then. Yeah, thank you. I, I, was, I was overwhelmed. That's when the movie came out. April 19th, 2002, we were in, I don't know, 11 theaters, 16 theaters. And then by the time I hosted um, Saturday Night Live, it was November 6th, 2002. So in that time, in that time period, my my life and brain had exploded. And I was walking around so thrilled because Rachel Dratch and I were in Second City, Chicago together. And here I'm, I'm backstage at this institution. I know you must have felt this too when you got hired. You're backstage at this thing that you watched and dreamed about being in. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Although your ver- version of it is you were there because you had earned the right to host. Whereas when I, the minute I was there, I immediately started worrying that they were going to regret the decision. <laughs> like yeah. when you host, you know you're getting the whole week. Whereas I... I just constantly was waiting for them to realize they'd made a terrible, terrible mistake. Going back and hosting, it was weird having worked there for as long as I worked there. I had no sense of how cool it was to host. And so you had you actually had an experience. I It took me years and years to, to fully wrap my yeah, head. Yeah, I would imagine that. I felt the fear, like I, Josh, like the, in the, you know, in the writer's room while people are waiting to have the material taken or not taken. Like sure. that fear is horrifying. It's just, as you're waiting to know, and if you're not in the show, you're not in the show. Like it's, I don't know. But you guys are doing such a smart thing by creating your own job. I always say, if the phone doesn't ring, call yourself and just hire yourself. Yeah, you're so smart. What was the, I mean, obviously I know the reaction. How, what have subsequent trips to Greece been like for you after the phenomena of the movie are you is it where you're the most famous it's hard to walk around it is but i always say like if somebody spots me in greece 
and they, I know I owe them a picture because it would be like if you see Jackie Chan in Chinatown. Yeah. You're, it's like, it's a coup. It's a coup. <laughs> yeah, you're going right. to get a picture. <laughs> yeah. Years ago, I went to uh, Thailand and I feel like every little like bar and hotel was playing the beach. And it was just like what they would play because it was like, oh, this is this was shot here. And um, and I imagine yeah. if like Leo DiCaprio was walking around, like he'd be pinned <laughs> off left and right. And I feel yeah. like they must show my big fat Greek wedding at so many places at any given day. It's so crazy. They play it like on a beach, like just show. And I'm like, where are my residuals for that? It's fine. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. That, those beach movies. I saw a beach movie yeah. in Greece once. Like it was great. I forget, we were on one of the Greek islands for a wedding and my wife and I were walking and it was just in the middle of like a tiny little garden where they had like strung up a screen and were selling beers and it was one of the um, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies. Oh. Which I, and it was just the perfect, we sat there for an hour, beautiful, you know, fairy lights strung up and I was like, oh, this is a great way. And I do, oh. I feel like... uh I feel like Robert Downey Jr. did not see a dime off that. that <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, have you ever noticed, I know it's closed now, but at the Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles, you can see anything there and it's the best movie you've ever seen. If you yeah. see it at the Cinerama, it's like a big theater. That's where you have to see a movie, in a theater, I think. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I, I had never seen Gone with the Wind. I saw that at the Cinerama Dome. I saw like, it's a mad, 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 mad world there. And yeah. I mean, for people that don't know Los Angeles, plenty of you won't, but it's a great theater and it's been it closed in the pandemic. And I'm, yeah, I had a lot of points. I had a lot of points racked up at the Arclight that I've lost, but I'm hoping they come back. You never know, right? I always thought yeah. Amazon or Netflix would buy them. I'm sure I'm not alone in that thought, but I always hope that. But it, for, yes, for the listeners, it's, it's shaped like a planetarium. It's a giant theater. It's a great big screen. I saw a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon there. I'll never That's forget That's a perfect it. movie to see with people. That's what you want, I think. When you knew your Big Fat Greek Wedding was a hit, did you ever go to watch it with an audience, just sort of sneak in the back? You know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm quite a cool person. Of course I went. <laughs> <laughs> of course I went. Like, constantly, all the time. Uh, yeah, I did. I actually had one experience. I swear to God, this was by accident. At the Grove, I didn't know it was still playing there. And we were going for dinner. And we were standing in front of the theater. My group was meeting at the Grove as the audience came out. So I looked like a bride greeting her guests after a reception. And I took a thousand selfies. And of course, my friends were like, not saving me, thinking it was the funniest <laughs> thing in the world, just to have me standing there like a cardboard standee. But yeah, I do. I love, look, we love people laughing, right? Sure. It's the best sound. So, yeah. And again, you, as you said, like it is really a sweet, the fact that it was comedy that was not, mean-spirited at all makes it then you don't have to worry as you're standing outside afterwards that the someone's going to come up and say you know i'm actually i'm actually the butt of the joke in that film whereas very much i felt like that was your entire life experience was the butt of the joke and so that yeah and now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. There have certainly been times in my life where I cannot sleep well, I feel uneasy, and I've been lucky to have people in my life I can talk to. BetterHelp is also there to be one of those listeners. I remember the first time I 
sort of wanted to talk to a therapist, I was talking to you and I was like, I don't know, this feels weird. I feel like I need a therapist. You said, I've had a therapist for like 10 years and I couldn't believe it. It's great. I love talking to someone who is just there to, to listen, to help you through any unease you might be feeling or any questions you might have about your life and how to be more at peace or work through some things with someone who's just there to help you. And it's nice that we were living in an era now where people are being more open and honest about how much licensed therapists have been able to help them. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched to a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash trips today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash trips. So you have a teenager now. I have a teenager now. You have a teenager. What about you, Josh? No, no kids. And mine oh. are not even close. Mine are, my oldest is seven. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I, know. I started late. So I've got three, but... um. The it's seven, five, and and one. Oh yeah, my so. god! When do you sleep? See, Josh, that's why you look good. Yeah, Josh, we do not Josh sleep. Really good. This yeah. is not a visual medium, but uh, Nia's pointing out that while we look alike, one of us looks a little bit more well rested. <laughs> <laughs> no, one of you has a ring light. That's what's yeah. going on. <laughs> but Seth, I mean, Seth's kids go to bed at like crazy early hours, so there's there's plenty of time for sleep over there. It seems to me. I don't know. I'm not there. Yeah. Although we had a night last night where the oldest one is now staying up a little bit later. And we, um, we had, uh, people over at our in-laws and, uh, uh, Ash, my oldest walked out onto a, a balcony, uh, that overlooked the sort of fire pit. And he, it was very Shakespearean how forlorn he was. Cause he just oh. like, we just all of a sudden, one of our friends noticed that he was just standing up there leaning over this balcony, staring at us. Because I think he was, he felt as though he'd been lied to that there was a, a party taking place after he'd gone to bed. Yeah, that was the beginning of the FOMO we all experienced. Yeah. And so yeah. your uh, your daughter has she? How often have you brought her to Greece? Is this a Always, destination? Okay. All the time. Yeah, not this time because I'm here for a photo shoot for press. Yes, yeah, so I'm just here for a work trip and then headed right back. But I bring my child all the time for the simple reason that number one, you got to be fluent in the language. And so everyone, all the kids just get shoved into the village and they just hang out and they run around. My only rule is you got to be in a group. And we go home at about two o'clock in the morning. It's uncanny what the kid's life is here. It's great. There are no cars. There's nothing to worry about in this village road. And they just have a great time. But on the film, my kid was put to work because that's the ethic that I grew up with, right? And hauling water, like just doing stuff. It was really fun to watch. She worked on the movie. Yeah, have to. Yeah. That's great. And now does she, do you feel like in her teenage years, does she dread going to Greece as much as you did as a teenager? Or does she have no, a different? Because, okay. No, because, no, I make it fun. We don't go to the village. Uh, we go to right. islands. And I okay. make sure that her age range is around, but fluent Greek speakers so that it's not easy uh, to communicate. And that's the only way you learn. But I'm lucky because my teenager wants to learn the language. So that's good, I think. 
Yeah. And is it, do oh, you like, sure. is she good at it? Does she have a nice, um, is her, uh, is Greek tongue, is that the right way to say it? Just her pronunciation yeah, her, and everything strong? Her accent is better than mine because I learned Greek uh, from my, in, with a Canadian accent and my child learned Greek from Greeks in Greece. So often I will say something like exartate, which is like, it, it depends. And she'll go, mm, mom, it's exartate. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, take it easy. Your, uh, you mentioned your father passed away. Is your mother still with us? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was a tough time during the pandemic. And my mom is doing great now. Great. And now have you been able to, I would assume, did your parents... Uh, and your mom now, did, have they been able to travel uh, sort of uh, with you and, and probably a, a slightly nicer version than the way they traveled with uh, you as a child? You know, my parents were always background actors in all my movies, every single one. I put my parents in it. And my mom said, you know, there's a movie filming in Winnipeg and your dad and I were thinking that we'll go sign up to be background actors. I was like, no, 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 mom. No, no, no. It is way different. It is way different. There's no trailer for you. There's a, there's like a row of peanut butter sandwiches. That would be, and she's like, oh my goodness. That I, anyway, so she's learned what it's like to be on a movie set and she likes it. And my mom's so Winnipeg that she wouldn't even want to be treated any differently at any time. But I, I, they all came to Canada, I mean, to LA for Christmas this year. We had um, 14 people sleeping at the house. Wow. And then my mom stayed with me for three months because I thought, why are you going back to Winnipeg? I'm here editing the movie. I know where I'm going every day, which as you know, as actors, you never really know. Sometimes right. it you, you know, you're on the road or something. So I knew where I was going to be for three months. So I said, stay, just stay with me. And I could have gotten nine more movies out of it just from watching her. Like I, I found her iPad. It was so old. It came with a crank. And I said, <laughs> what is this thing? No wonder when you FaceTime with the group, no wonder you look like you're covered in Vaseline. I thought she was just doing some Oprah Winfrey lighting or something. So I took her to the Apple store to buy an iPad. First of all, she brought that one in her purse because she thought she could trade it in. And when she, when she pulled it out of her bag and showed it to the guy, I mean, I've never seen an Apple employee's upper lip curl like this. Like they were like, what is that? And she went, it's my iPad. Like, oh, he meant what model is that? Cause I don't recognize it. Anyway, I bought her an iPad and it's the kind that has no button on it, right? It's mm. the new one where you have to swipe up. Oh, there's nothing better. I FaceTime her now and it gives me life to watch her trying to answer it. I say, you've answered. I can see you. Mom, I can see you. And I can see her face doing, well, it's not a visual medium, but her face is up close to the lens and her finger is hiding her her eye and she's pressing, pressing, pressing and saying, I don't know how this thing works. And I'm saying, I can see you. I can hear you. How yeah. is the, her relationship with your daughter? Do they have a nice grandmother, a daughter relation, granddaughter yeah. relationship? Yeah, everybody knows. There's a meme that goes around. Grandmother is Yaya. I think I mentioned earlier on the podcast. And there's a meme that goes around. It's a kid doing a fist pump, a little kid. And the meme is sleep at Yaya's. Yes, no yes. rules. Right? Yeah. And that's my daughter's life. Absolutely. When my mom is around, they cook, they clean, miss classes, just hang out. Now, be honest. Who was the better background actor of your two parents? <laughs> That's amazing. I'm going to say my mom because okay. 
my dad was a natural ham. And for some strange reason, he somehow figured out which side of his face was the better angle. So no matter where (laughs) I put him, he would turn his face to go the other way. (laughs) We were only getting his good side. So now I would think this seems like the interesting balance to me because I would think a Greek father on set would constantly be bragging that he was on his daughter's movie, but a Canadian father on set would never mention it. So which one out? Was your dad, when he was on the set of your films, which was He the... was number one Greek. Okay, number gotcha. one. So he was he was letting people know that while he might, on the outside, look like a, a background actor, that he was in fact... No, no, he was absolutely too close. Always too close to me, like telling people <laughs> who he was. Do you know who I am? And they were like, I think I do. I think I do. My dad was so excited when I became a known person that he would walk behind me at the mall and say to people, it's her. Oh, that's great. And they didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and my dad would be going, it's her, it's her. Then one time I was filming My Life in Ruins, another movie I did in Greece, and my dad, I had like an hour between shots, and I said to my mom and dad, we could go shopping in the placa. And my mom and I turned to my dad and said, you cannot out me. Like you cannot. He's no, 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 I won't. I won't. I'll be good. I'll be good. We're in his homeland. And so my mom and I are shopping in the placa and we look up ahead after 15 minutes and my dad is standing surrounded by a group of people. And as we got closer, one of the guys is holding like my dad, like kind of by the arm. And we're like, what did he do? And we stand there and realize, like, as we get closer, we realize my dad is standing with the queen of Spain, who is Greek. (laughs) He's standing with her. And thank God we walked up at the moment we did, because apparently he cut through her security when he saw her, Queen Sophia. And he went, you're Greek, I'm Greek. And she was like, I know, we're in Greece. And he said, do you know who my daughter is? And she went, I do not, sir. I do not. And he said, it's Nia Vardalis. And she went, wait. And then, thank God, we walked up. And we ended up taking a bunch of pictures with the Queen of Spain. Wow. wow. See, that's, again, that's where this sort of uh, bareheadedness or the bullheadedness of dads comes in handy, right? You never in a million years would have approached the Queen of Spain. No, I would have let her be. But haven't you both had a lifetime of people knocking a fork out of your hand to say hello? Like you're, I don't want to interrupt your dinner, they say. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to set a bad example in front of your kids. But do you have, I mean, do you have boundaries as a family? Just to speak to our dad. Oftentimes, you know, back before the strike when we were doing a show, every now and then my assistant would say, friends of your dad are at the show tonight. And he wanted to know if you'd say hi to them after the show. So after the show, I'd go to the green room and I'd be talking to people, always very lovely and polite. And then I would say, how do you know my dad? And they would say, oh, I was golfing with him. And... uh We weren't together, but I was wearing a Steelers hat. Our dad's from Pittsburgh. And so we started talking about Pittsburgh. And then he mentioned that you were his son and asked if I ever wanted to go see the show. So it's literally like, I think they might genuinely be there out of politeness. That my dad somehow presented it like, we're trying to sell tickets, anything you can do to help. And so I'm I'm actually at some point realized I've now spent more time with them than my dad has backstage. Because he just met them. He met them at a bar. And then... Their eyes looking at you are, we're glad we could do this for you, Seth. Yeah, we're glad. So anyway, hopefully, yeah. please let Larry know we, we came through and, and hopefully now we don't yeah. owe him anymore. 
So this is very exciting. This is the the third of the trilogy. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine what the creative journey must be like. And yeah, you directed this one too, yeah? I did. I did. Uh, you know what happened with, with the first movie? Do you know who Gary Getzman is? He's Tom Hanks' one and only partner at okay. Playtone. He let me go into the editing room on the first movie, which is a daunting experience to see yourself up close and big, take after take. And, all, you know, it, I would drive to the editing room and think, your nose is bigger than you think. Okay, have a good day. And I would just <laughs> learn, learn, learn. And I watched um, how a film was stitched together and how if you do one take and you fump for a line, but someone else is in the scene, you can cut to them or a plant or something. And I watched editing and I watched how um, my character was shaved so that all the sardonic ironicness was taken out of it. Because I'm nice, but I'm also an asshole. Let's face it, we all are, right? Yes, I can be of course. extremely, um, we all are. There's no way I could go through Second City and be that nice. Like, right. And there were edges to Tula that weren't exactly um, in the PG-13 mold. And I watched that happen. And I was completely hooked. And I'd always been a theater nerd. And now I was like, oh, I'm a film nerd. So I studied and I learned. And they wanted me to direct the second one. But I didn't think I was ready. And so I watched and I learned. And then I went off and did a play. And I went every time I was on a set. I just would never be in my trailer. I would just watch. I did a fully improvised movie. I just watched. That's what I, I learned to watch the director, watch the camera, watch the monitors, watch what were people doing, wonder why is that the set list, the shot list? What is it, it? What is it? And then I decided to write a journal of how I would direct the movie. John Corbett said, I'm not doing it unless you direct. And the financier was like, I'm not financing unless you direct. So it was, I'm going to direct. And I'm so glad I did it because I'm annoyingly organized and you have to be. And I made, look, I just don't lose it. I just don't. I don't lose it as a parent. I never lose it. And that's how you have to be when you direct. So stuff happened. Like the steady cam operator, the night that we were filming the dances, um, his COVID test came back positive. So suddenly he was there and then gone, like vaporized on set is how they would whisk them away. Sure. And because of the atmosphere that, we had created on set by only hiring nice people, by only having a good camaraderie, honest, firm, but we never missed a day. We never went over time. We couldn't. And we had to finish on this day because we would lose actors because we only had a window of time with a giant 14-member ensemble cast. I had to be very disciplined. And the night that we lost Steadicam operator, I had a big smile on my face and that I was looking at the shot list and went, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I had no idea what I was going to do. But you know, from our worlds of background of improv, you just smile and wave. And at that moment, one of the camera operators walked over to the A-cam and unscrewed it. It was a locked off camera. The steady cam was the B. He unscrewed it from its pedestal and picked it up with another person. It's so heavy that it took two grown men to pick it up and said, he's British, oi, with this work? And they held that camera for me and shoved it into feet and pulled it out with my arm linked through one of their arms going, great, swing, swing, swing right, get the drums. Great, swing left, get his foot. Good, swing right, get the guitar. Swing left, like that. And that's how we filmed the dances because dances have to be an immersive experience. So 
over and over again, I kept thinking, I'm hyper-organized. That's how I made the movie, by directing it, writing, and acting in it. But in the end, it was the kindness of strangers that pulls you through. So everyone should grow up in Winnipeg. (laughs) Everyone should grow up, or every director should at least. (laughs) Yeah, also you saying that you never lose it, and that's why it makes you a good director. That means our father can't be a director. Nope. Seth can't be a director, (laughs) and I can't be a director. No. If, if that's what it takes, if that's the prereq, then uh, yeah. we're out. You have, to, you have to pretend you're in charge and you know what the next move is at all times. And when it was over, I could have gone home, but my teenager was away to camp and there was, no, there was nowhere to go. And I had just had a relationship fall apart, but I had no time to deal with it because I was directing a movie and it was the best way to end something, almost like being in a coma. And... My best friend, uh, one of my closest friends came to visit me in Greece last summer after I finished the movie. And he said, "Um, let's go to dinner. And I was a puddle because when I walked away from that set, all I could think was no one died because as the director, you are in charge. You are wholly responsible. Plus I'm one of the producers on it too. So I was really worried for the safety of things that we had to do, falling off cliffs, stuff that we did, driving scenes, everything. And as we walked to dinner, here I am, the putty, puddle, putty. And he said, you're going to meet a Greek man tonight. And I said, I have never dated a Greek man. So I don't know what you're talking about. And I met him that night because I had finally willfully given up control after being clenched and in control that night. I mean, for four months. Isn't that amazing? And is his name Nick? Yeah, it was is his name Nick? It is now. <laughs> and I hope that that first date was on a porch only. I hope it didn't leave the front porch. <laughs> you are not too old to besmirch your reputation. That is completely yeah. right. Do, don't besmirch me, sir. Hey, um, uh, we are going to let you go, uh, but Josh is going to ask you uh, some questions that we ask our guests. Okay. I am ready. Here we go. You can only pick one. Is your ideal vacation, are you relaxing? Is it adventurous? Is it enlightening? Or is it educational? Relaxing. All right. Very good. Uh, Do you prefer to travel by train, plane, automobile, boat, or on foot? Plane. Very good. Uh, If you could take a vacation, a family vacation with any family, alive or dead, other than your own family... Who would you take a vacation with? Nick. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Just any vague, any Nick. Here's the thing. Most of my cousins are also named Nick. So they all, my brother, everyone thinks right now I picked them. That's very yeah. smart. All right. Very good. If you were stranded on a desert island with one member of your family, who would you take? I would pick my sister, Marianne, because she's a professor, so the conversations would be ah, good. Ah, gotcha. Marianne is the older or younger sister? She's the younger sister. And what's she a professor of? She's a sociologist. Oh, great choice. Yeah. Yeah. But I could, of course, take my kid, right? Like, my kid's always with me in all these scenarios. Yeah. No, well, look, you. how old's your kid? 17. Might not want to be with me. She doesn't want to go. Yeah. Bring yeah. your sister. <laughs> Also, if she knows that you picked her to bring her to a desert island where you would essentially be marooned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She'd be uh, mad at me the whole time. Does she have her phone? No, she does not have her phone. She might have sister. it, but no service. Um, <laughs> yeah. So even worse, because she'd keep checking it. 
Yes. Um, and uh, you're from uh, from Winnipeg. Would you recommend Winnipeg as a uh, vacation destination? I absolutely would. I will tell you why. Yeah. There please. will be no crowds. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very honest break on how that's the uh, Winnipeg Board of Tourism slogan. That's right. <laughs> no crowds. Come on down. Come on down. We can't wait to see you and just you. Yeah. Um, and Seth, do you yeah. want to ask your final? Uh, yes, my final question. Well, it's a two-parter based on the first answer. The first part is: Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Yes, I have been to the Grand Canyon. Okay, then, are you happy you went? Yes, I am. It's okay. one of those places I think you must see. I went in the time that when it was pinks and the purples, and okay. I'm glad I saw it. Why? Do you think it's overrated? I just have no interest in it. I've never been. But this is the first I'm hearing about this pinks and the purples. Have you? Did you know about this, Josh? Well, I, I was going to ask a follow-up on the pinks and purples. I'm guessing that's the, uh, that's the sky? Or is that no, the- it's the... The stone, for some reason, in a certain time of year, it was November. Uh, oh. Apparently, it turns pinks and purples. The only thing I will say is I did have a friend go recently, and the amount of um, social media influencers trying to get that one shot, it makes it a precarious journey. I see. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. with any with any national park, you need to go so far into a trail uh, that the people drop off, that it feels more like Winnipeg. Yeah, you want to get um, that Winnipeg feel. They yeah. say that Winnipeg has never, there's not a single photo of Winnipeg on social media. <laughs> That's how few people are there. <laughs> it's the last, it's the last. People are last, like, is it, is it pretty up there? No one knows. No one you knows. Can't, you have to see for yourself. If you search geotags of Winnipeg. It's I promise you, it is a very, very nice city, but it's the type of town that when you go and they bag your groceries, that person doing your groceries will know everything about you. I mean, this is pre my big fat Greek wedding. They just know everything about you. In any other situation where that is happening, any other city, that's a stalker. But yeah. not in Winnipeg. They just know who you are, where you went to school. How's your sister doing? It's a, a nice small city. Does Winnipeg have a, a giant Nia pride as well? Is Winnipeg, are you sort of a favorite daughter <laughs> of Winnipeg? No, because Monty Hall is from there too. Oh, well, yeah, you can't. I, <laughs> no one's actually, knocking I, him off the top spot. <laughs> I had the craziest moment. David Steinberg is from there too. And uh, when David Steinberg was publicizing his book, we're both from Winnipeg. And I said to him, I mean, we know the prairies because it's flat. And I grew up informed again by his comedy, right? He's so incredible. And I said, you know, David, we know that joke that in Winnipeg, it's so flat. If your dog runs away, you see it going for two weeks. And David Steinberg said, I wrote that joke. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing that you have the joke about Winnipeg. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? And that he wrote, I said it to the guy that wrote it. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Mm. Well, again, I feel like it feels like there's a lot of massive differences based on the flatness of Winnipeg between it and the Grand Canyon. So I think it's very lucky that you have seen both. Yes. Yes. It's interesting that you don't want to go. I see. Where do your kids want to go on vacation? Do they say? They're now finally sort of aging into wanting to go to an amusement park. They finally, I think, want to go to Disney World. The oldest and the young, the you know, the boys are two years apart. So whatever the oldest wants, the youngest kind of wants to jump on board. So I think that that oh, yeah. is probably coming up. You cannot go wrong with Disney World or Disneyland. It's so magical. It's so lovely. 
it's really, and then Josh, are you an adventurer? Yeah. More, more of an adventure, I would say than, yeah, than like being relaxed. Yeah. Huh. Josh is often hiking. Josh is often going to higher ground. Yeah. I prefer mountains to beaches. I feel like beaches were made to, to hurt me. Yeah. Josh is very fair skinned. Yeah. You are with the ring light. I see. For the people listening. <laughs> Don't have a ring light. <laughs> hey, so he, the ring light is within Josh. Yes. Because <laughs> you're enlightened. Mm. Well, uh-huh. um, it has been so lovely uh, speaking to you from Greece, no less. Same. That is the perfect way to get Nia. And uh, seriously, I'm such a cliche. It's a, just a joy to speak with you both. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's great seeing Same. you again. Same. This was super fun. I, I can't wait to see you in real life. Okay. Yes, and we'll please. hug for a long time till it's inappropriate. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> a mother and a father were active in the Greek community. Her dad was a cantor. And a mother's grandmother had just passed away. They met at a funeral. They married and they had three girls and also a little boy. The middle girl was Nia. Made a first waves upon the second city stage. Then she struck gold with the She's not from Greece. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. What? Mia Bartolos. Isn't it Bartolos? Yeah, but for the purposes of this song, it's... Mia Bartolos. Yeah, she's from Canada. Mia Bartolos. Mia Bartolos. 